You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Yes, Lord, we declare the wonders of your ways, Lord. Your ways are not our ways, and just as the heavens are above the earth, so your ways are above our ways. Lord, may we have faith and clarity and clear understanding, Lord, of your purposes and plans at work in our lives. We pray that as we look at your word, know that you'd bless us, you'd speak to us. Lord, that you'd use me by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to speak life and light into the lives of your people today. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Give us an old Amen there, because like I said, encouragement is everything. I'm going to go into the message, guys. Going to go to the message this morning. I want to look this morning at the message that's connected to the message that I did the previous time around, though it's not the same and it's not exactly the same theme. I'm not going to press start on my little timer here. It's not exactly the same message and it's not exactly on the same theme. But before I get into today's message, I had previously been talking about risk, and I want today to begin by asking you a question Are you willing to chance your arm? Are you willing to chance your arm? To chance your arm in Ireland means to take a risk or to take a gamble on something that you're not 100% sure about, something that involves risk, but you'll chance it anyway. You, you'll make an effort. And the story of chancing your arm begins like this. I want you to go back in time to the year 1492. And in 1492, there was a big feud going on in Ireland between the Ormonds between the, the, the butlers of Ormond and between the Fitzgeralds of Kildare. They were having a battle, effectively, having a feud or having a war over who would be the Lord Deputy in Ireland. That was the King's representative in Ireland and therefore the tax collector in Ireland. And we'll get to that in a minute. Anyway, this feud was going on and the feud was being fought on the outskirts of the city of Dublin at the time, a much smaller city then. And the feud came to outside the doors of St. Patrick Cathedral and the butlers of Ormond went inside into the cathedral and locked the door and barred the door to take refuge inside the cathedral because they were outnumbered by the Fitzgeralds. Now the Fitzgeralds wanted to make peace with the butlers and they appealed to them to come out but the butlers would not come out. They weren't going to take that risk. And so the head of the Fitzgerald family instructed his soldiers to make a hole in the door of the cathedral. So they cut a hole in the door of the cathedral and he put his arm through the door of the cathedral and extended a hand of friendship and of reconciliation with the Fitzgeralds or with the, with the, with the butlers who were inside. And when the butlers saw the hand, they realized that the Fitzgerald's intentions were good. And so they opened the door and they came out. But the Fitzgeralds took a huge risk by putting his hand through the door. His arm could have been chopped off. And that's the origin of the phrase, to chance your arm. That door is still visible today in St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. It's called the door of reconciliation. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we have to risk to see something happen in our lives. In fact, if there's not something, if we have no skin in the game, then we're not really taking a risk. And he took a risk by putting his hand through that door. Can I just say to you today, just while you're tuned in, as I was preparing this message this week, I believe God would say to some people out there who are watching today, that you need to extend your hand. You need to take the risk of extending your hand to make peace and to make reconciliation with someone in your life whom you have fallen out with, or who may have just fallen out with you. Perhaps it's down to you to begin to reach out and to connect with that person, if that's at all 
possible. But today I want to talk about shrewd faith. Today I'm going to be looking at a passage from Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. But before I get to the idea of shrewd faith, what is shrewd faith? Shrewd means to be wise or to be foresighted or to be focused or determined. That's what shrewdness means. The shrewd faith I'm going to talk about today is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. But we'll get to that. First of all, I looked at risky faith the last time I was speaking. And there was one quote in it that I wanted to bring back to your attention from that message about risk. And it was this by John Piper, the writer and theologian when he said to run from risk is to waste your life it's better to lose your life than to waste it it is an awful thing to see a life wasted it's an awful thing to see somebody waste their lives and be too afraid to take a risk to advance either their own life or the betterment of their family or most importantly of all the gospel of the kingdom today we're looking at Luke's gospel chapter 16 at one of the most controversial one of the most unspoken of, one of the most misunderstood of all of the parables that Jesus told. We're going to be looking today at Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 10. And it's the story of a master and a manager. You probably know it as the parable of the shrewd servant or the parable of the dishonest servant, if you've read it before, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. We're going to dive straight into it. May God bless us as we read his word. And may God bring home to our hearts the lessons that Jesus is trying to teach in this particular parable. Remember, parables normally had one particular message that they wanted and needed to communicate. And we'll get to that in a second. I just love the way when Jesus tells stories, he pulls everyone in. He paints pictures of people that we know from our everyday lives. Perhaps you know somebody who's of the master control boss situation like this fella here. Let's look at what God's word has to say. Here we go. Jesus told his sto this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. He was rich enough to have a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came to him that the manager was wasting his employer's money. He was blowing the treasury of the master. He was blowing his master's money. He was blowing his employer's money. And so there was going to be a calling on the carpet. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The guy had lost his job. He was already doomed. He was gone. The boss had called him in. He was called in before the big boss. I don't know if you have ever experienced that in your life. But the very odd time, my boss or my manager, when he called me in when I was in trouble. You know that sense you get when your, your heart sinks into your boots? You're going, what's going on? He calls me and says, you're going to be fired. He was caught. He was caught being dishonest. He was caught wasting his master's money. And so he was called before the manager. And so what does he do? Well, he's got to think on his feet fast. And I love this. He says, it says, the manager thought to himself, know what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. And I'm too proud to beg. Too proud to beg he was. And he doesn't have the strength to dig ditches. So you know what, what happens here? He looks at his situation. He takes a cold, clean, a clear-sighted view of his situation. His situation was such that he was about to become destitute. Because he was too proud and too weak to do anything about his situation. He was going to become destitute. And yet he was actually a very good manager. As the story would lay out, he actually turned out to be quite a good manager. And so he looks at the situation, brothers and sisters, sometimes even in our relationship with God, we have to stand before the Lord and take a very clear-sighted view of who we are. And a very clear-sighted and unencumbered version of what our reality is. Sometimes it's very important to assess ourselves correctly. 
And here's what he says. He says, ah, I know what I'll do to ensure that I have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he begins to hatch a plan. He knows his situation. He realizes he has foresight. He looks forward and sees the trouble coming. And so he makes a plan and begins to do something about his situation. What else could he do? What was he going to do? So here was his plan, really simple. So he invited each person who owed the money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. Just to discuss it. No, no strings attached, nothing suggested. Just, you just want to discuss the situation. No, there's no big suggestions. Just one to discuss it. See, he's, he's hatching a plan. Onward he goes. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? How much do you owe my boss? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. Not a small amount of olive oil. 800 gallons. So the manager told him, take the bill quickly and change it to 400 gallons. He gives him, a fi- am I right, 50% discount. He discounts the bill of the person who owed his boss a 50% discount. Who wouldn't take that deal? And of course, the, the guy who owed his boss took the hand off him, signed the deal. Fantastic. Then he says to the second one, how much do you owe oh, my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. Again, not a small amount of wheat. His reply, he says, here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. And so he goes on and he gives this guy a 20% discount. A 20% discount on the invoice. And there's a thing called um, invoice discounting. It's a way that you make sure you get your money in. So in the process, he makes sure that his boss actually gets money. These bills could be outstanding forever and ever. Amen. But in the process, he also gets these people online. He acts with incredible clear-sightedness. He makes an audacious attempt to look after himself, to look after his future. It's important that we make attempts to look after our future, look out for our future, whether that's physical, material, mental, financial. It's important that we make provision for our future. And here he's very clear-sighted. He's very audacious in this action. So what's he going to do? He's already fired. There's nothing he can do about his situation. He's gone. And so he decides to get some people online with him. So the rich man, of course, was absolutely thrilled about this, but this is what it says. Jesus said, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. He was so shrewd. He was so switched on, so clever to make a situation. And it says that the, 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 the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And you see, this is where this parable gets into a little bit of trouble because people say well is Jesus saying it's okay to be dishonest if we're being smart that is not what Jesus is saying in this particular parable but what he is saying is that he recognizes that this man had a chutzpah he had the chutzpah he had the confidence the audacity to actually act on his situation what is Jesus commending here he's commending this that we should have the same degree of audacity of focus of chutzpah, of confidence, of deliberate and intentional action about advancing the kingdom of God, about making sure that we are right with God, but making sure that we do right by God, that we should be as focused about our futures as he was about his. 
Now we're going to look at our futures in just a little second, but I'm going to wrap up this because this is when Jesus said, and so it goes on to say this, this is, and it is true, said Jesus, that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Is he saying that, the, that Christians are all, oh, very gentle and naive? Not necessarily at all. But what he is saying is that we need to take a lesson from the way that this man acted. He made deliberate choices and decisions, very, very risky ones. But the purpose that he had in mind was to advance and look after his own future. Do we as Christians do the same? And I'm not talking here about financial. What about our spiritual future? You see, our future, we see the future, but we see it as a very short-term thing. Our future, brothers and sisters, is forever. That's what our future is. Our future isn't just until we retire or until we die. It is forever. Mary Leo Shea is now enjoying the future that she had prepared in her heart and soul for. And he's saying we need to be just as shrewd, just as shrewd in our dealings to advance the kingdom, just as shrewd to prepare for our long-term future in the kingdom of God. And sometimes that comes to us as a challenge because we are so often pulled down into the immediate. We're pulled down into the urgent. We're pulled down into the no, what's really important, no. But Jesus is saying, don't necessarily worry about the immediate. Think about the ultimate. Think about where all of this is going. That's the lesson he's teaching. In actual fact, he says it. He says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. Jesus' call here is for generosity. For people to give to give what they have so that they will secure their eternal home. Eternal home being the key here. Eternal home. Jesus is talking about our future in heaven. You know, when we die, we take nothing with us. We came into the world empty-handed. That's what Job said. Job says in Job chapter 1, Naked I came, naked I will depart. Paul says in 2 Timothy, he says, We brought nothing into the world and we will take nothing out of it. Isaac Dennison in his book, in his short story, Babette's Feast, records that the dean in that story, you have to read the story, says that the only thing we take with us from this life is that which we have given away. The only thing that we take with us into the next life is that which we have given away in this life. Jesus' call here is a call to generosity. It's a call to generosity for the Christians not just to give away but to spend. And that's what he did. The curious thing about this in the middle of all of this is that he spent the master's money. He didn't spend his own. He spent somebody else's. Aha! And that's another kingdom truth. Everything you have, everything you are, and everything that you own actually comes from heaven. It all belongs to the master. You are only the temporary manager of God, of your God-given time, of your God-given talent, of your God-given resources. You are only the steward, is the term that we so often use. That's all you are, of the things that God has given you. In this story, he gives away what doesn't belong to him. He gives away his master stuff. And when we give away, we're effectively doing the same. When we give generously, we are doing exactly the same. We're giving what doesn't actually belong to us. We only have a temporary loan of it. Look at your life for a moment. Look at your home, your money. Look at your health. Look at your time. Look at your talent. Look at your resources all around you. All of them are temporary. And you are the steward and the loaner and the manager of them only for now. Jesus goes on to say this really importantly. He says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large things. If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, 
you, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. What a great, look, we know this, we know this inside out, but I'd just like us to think about it for a second. If you are faithful in small things, if in the small things in your life you're committed and you're faithful and you're honest and you're straight in your dealings, then you're going to be straight in your dealings when the big things come. But if you're crooked in the small things, then you're going to be crooked in the big things as well. And that really comes down to all of our lives. This is what C.S. Lewis said, my favourite writer, as everyone who ever tunes into me knows he is my favourite writer. Here's what he says, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions, the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. Good and they increase at compound interest. Uh, well, I think it was Albert Einstein who said, the, uh, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, he said. Those who understand it, receive it. Those who don't, pay it. That's what he said. Compound interest, things that increase by ever so slight amounts. There's a thing called the law of use, and that is, that's, that, that's the law that, if you will, dictates all of human flourishing. That if you use what you have, you will get more. And that works all the way through finances, it works through your physical health, it works through your emotional health and your relationships. You know, it's the little decisions that you're making every day. What comes first in your decisions every day? And it's just the little, small, small things that we make. Sometimes it starts off with something very small, but it becomes something very big in our lives. But it also flows the other way. When we give way in small things, when we give way to sin, when we give away to what the enemy would want in our lives in small ways, we also end up, we also end up getting worse and worse. There's an old rule that says, don't act like that which you don't want to become. It's kind of the opposite of, of uh, act like it until you become it. It's the opposite. If there's ways that you don't want to become, if there's a person you don't want to become, don't act in that way. It's that simple. And Jesus here is commending this manager because he has foresight and he has focus. And in the process, he builds a compound interest in his life. Here's a great proverb from the book of Proverbs. Here's what it says. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. There's a rule somewhere in here. There, there, there is, a, there is a, an object lesson somewhere in here. And this is the, this is the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is, if you will, a very has a very conservative view of things like giving. And it says here, one person, they freely give. They give of their time. They give of their energy. They give of their finances. They support. They, they give out of their pockets. They give in so many ways. And yet, for some reason, they end up with even more. Whatever it is, there, there, there's a rule at work here. The law of sowing and the law of reaping is at work. All of these things, the law of honesty, they're all at work. They're all at work in this particular proverb and this particular story that Jesus is telling. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, unnecessarily. For no reason he withholds. He's mean, he hoards, he keeps to himself, whether in any area of his life, and he ends up in poverty. People who are afraid socially all often end up in really terrible loneliness. People who are retentive socially, they end up in terrible loneliness. Whereas if they give, if you give just a little bit and see the compound interest increasing in your life, your life can be transformed. You see, we want to wake up and jump out of bed and everything to be completely changed in our lives. But that's not reality. And it's also not God's reality. We are changed ever so slightly. Paul calls it from glory into glory. That is how we are changed. Jesus also said 
about giving. And it's very important about giving. You say, oh, Michael's all about giving this morning. There's a law in the middle of all this. It's called the law of reciprocity. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, and to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. If you give, you will receive. You work it out yourself. And he's talking here about the law of what they call reciprocity. In other words, in every way that you give, you will get back. It's that simple. If you give, you will get back. If you give kindness to your next door neighbor, the likelihood is you're probably going to get back kindness. If you give to people in your life, whether it's of your time, your talent, your energy, you will get that back. And then he says, very importantly, but he says, the amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. So, if you are tight-fisted, you can only expect very little in return. I sing tight-fisted in every sense of the word. If, if, if we are retentive, if we hold back, then it will be held back in us. But it works in every way, in every way in our lives, brothers and sisters. If we give forgiveness, we will receive Amen. forgiveness. If we give kindness, we will receive kindness. If we give mercy, we will receive mercy. In every way, in every way in your life, what you give, you will receive. It's the law of reciprocity. If you say hello to someone, they're more likely to say hello back to you. If you smile at someone, they're more likely to smile back at you. If you snarl at them, they're probably going to snarl back at you too. Now sometimes there are outliers to this. Sometimes there's the 5% or the 1% where this doesn't work. You say hello to someone and they cut you dead. I actually have a neighbor, believe it or not. I'm, he's not tuned in here, so I needn't worry about it. And I've been saying hello to this man since I moved into my home, whatever it is, 27 years ago. And this guy has driven past me for 27 years. And I was saying hello to him. I was always raising a hand or saying hi as he went past. Never even once to this day has he ever once saluted me back not even raised the finger off the steering wheel nothing never done it but you know that's not going to stop me because 99% of the other people to whom you say hello to whom you show kindness to whom you show courtesy will repay it to you you really really do reap what you sow Paul warns the Ephesian church he says be careful how you live live as wise not as unwise and in that wisdom we must prepare for this life we must prepare for our future in this life, but also the future of the life to come. We don't want to be entering the, the life to come with shame. We want to enter with joy. We want to see good things stored up. We want to see rewards in heaven. Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus never said, save up now and be careful and be a prudent saver. Not at all. He said the exact opposite. He said, spend. He said, give. He said, let it out. Don't be holding on to it. And there's actually, uh, there is actually an economic principle behind all of that. If you read uh, John Mandeville's The Beehive, for instance, his theory of economic spending, and that is that when societies become retentive and only save, economic wheels grind up. But when people give and when people spend, it actually becomes better for everyone. You will give. If you give, you will receive. Press stone, shaken together, and running over in your lap. Whether, that you, whether you need, if you need kindness, so kindness are you with me if you need love someone to love in your life love and you will receive Hallelujah. love back if you need financial support do you know what give try giving test god in this, this is what it says in malachi tom referenced malachi just 
a while ago. That's what it says. The Lord says, test me in this. Test me in this. You give to me and see if I don't open the windows of heaven in you. I don't know about your life, but I really would like to experience the windows of heaven opened on my life. What about you, comrade? Would you like the windows of heaven opened yes. on you? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Hey, wake up, Tom. We're, we're, we're oh, all up here on the edge of together. <laughs> give and you shall receive. And I just love the way he says, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I want us, brothers, as, we fin as I finish here now, I just want to, just to consider about having a shrewd faith. A shrewd faith has foresight. A shrewd faith sees the future coming and acts now to prepare for it. Not only the immediate future, as in next week, next month, and next year, but our eternal future really is on the line in some senses. It really is so important that we prepare for it. And that's the lesson that Jesus draws from the story of the dishonest or the shrewd manager. And it's so important that we tune into what he's saying. He says, you know something? We need to be like the children of the world in our preparation for the future. You see, people out there, they're living their lives, they're preparing for their future financially, he's saying you should be prepared as well. And a great way to prepare for your future is to be generous with your time and with your talent and with your treasure. Some of you this morning, I know that this is a challenge to be faithful. To be faithful in what you are doing and what you're giving, whether it's being faithful in praying, faithful in spending time with the Lord, faithful in giving, faithful in a friendship or faithful in a relationship. To you, it's a call to be faithful. Because Jesus said, those who are faithful in little will be faithful in much. To some others of you, I'm going to be honest. I think it could be about honesty. It's about being honest. It's about saying, Lord, have I been honest? Have I dealt correctly? Have I been straight with people? For others, it's a challenge to be generous. I'm going to be completely straight up about it. It's a challenge to be generous. But to be generous with what the master has given you. To be generous with the master's things. That's what you're being challenged to be generous with. You're not going to be any poorer. He who gives what God gives him is no poorer. I love what, what, what Elliot, I can't remember the man's first name. He was a martyr from the, uh, from the 1950s when he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's a challenge to you to be generous. Maybe you know of a situation where you need to be generous. Maybe you know of a situation where you're being challenged to give generous with your time, generous with your energy, generous with your finances. It's a challenge to be generous. God's people are challenged to be generous people and maybe to some of you that's what is speaking to this morning but to all of us to all of us I think the important message is to live wisely to be wise and to be shrewd Amen. to live lives that are wise and that are shrewd do we lack wisdom if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask God who gives generosity to all without finding fault and it will be given to them that's what James says in his letter do you need wisdom this morning? Pray, ask God, read his word, speak to Christian friends, get advice, and then you'll have the wisdom to take the correct action.